Friday is here. Look around. Outkick 360 is back across the Outkick network alongside Chad Withrow and Paul Koharski. I'm Jonathan Hutton, Lance Lee, Jakob Swanson, Jake Popoff, Regan McCross, and David Reed, the chairman hey, of Chad the board. Glad you're with us. Paul is uh, getting here. set up Open as he just arrived from the we ball field We sounded this great right there, Paul. Sound? Thank you for Hutton. Uh, thank yeah. you. Yeah. Well, well done, Man, Lance. Hutton was the, really, good Tim really projecting. Like, I felt that from the, the gut. For it was just man, sound was check great. Pass. Yes, yes, good job. Terrific. Welcome to everyone uh, watching on Twitter. If you're watching on YouTube, we hope you'll subscribe to the Outkick 360 channel. You can join us in the chat there, and as always, ring that bell so you're alerted every time we go live across the network. Bell. Gentlemen, gentlemen, we're in a good mood because Paul won the parlay last night. <laughs> well done, Paul. No, it hasn't come through yet, but Shoffley was like tied for fourth and two strokes off. No, he's in the top ten. Right? I know, but at FanDuel, it hasn't come across yet for some reason. The first round bets have not settled. But And Durant barely won, but he won. He, hey, we've points. lost a lot barely, so we won that one barely. <laughs> but there was a lot of sitting well, how many by one Durant. Run baseball I know, losses right. Yeah, in, in ninth row. inning. And they're all batter. one run. Yeah. Ninth run, last batter. Um, but Durant was doing a lot of too much sitting late in that game, and Giannis was doing too much playing late in that game. So we weren't talking about it, but I was like, come on, you've got to sit this guy down. The Nets are conceding the game's over. Uh, the Bucks should be conceding the game's over. But also the Bucks were smartly just taking uh, shot clock violations and putting the ball down yeah. and, and going back. So that was a relief. So we're off the schneid. A new bet is in. I feel great about it. And now we're going to win a bunch of them. I, uh, I feel good about your bet too, Paul. So much so that I was actually creating my own parlay before the show because I wasn't sure if we won yesterday. Uh, because I was unable to place the bet <laughs> that yeah. you made, but we won. That guarantees we win. It was our, us can't yeah, it was yeah. it was our bet. But so good job by you. And while I like to think of the three of us as winners, it has been a while since I felt like the winner that I am. Yeah. <laughs> and you help provide and make tough. me feel like the winner that I am. So thank you. Well, for that. I think a golf tournament provides a unique opportunity to do. I I, I think though I lost plenty of. I made several one dollar top twenty top. 10 first day bets and didn't win on them. I did have a good feeling about a couple people. So Chad won big with Mickelson at the PGA Championship. Paul has the opportunity to win big with Cabello. I get, I get Cabrera, the name Cabrera Bello. Bello excuse yeah. me. Rafa Cabrera Bello. Uh, who, if he wins, Paul is going to have a money tree growing here at Blackbird Studio. I got 350 off a pre-tournament bet and I quickly put down $5 more for another 320 um, off of his first round. So he's my guy in this tournament. Rafa Cabrera Bello sounds like a Spanish explorer who like <laughs> discovered look, Brazil. Is that the guy like who discovered the Brazil? of Rafa Cabrera Bello. He, he looks like a bullfighter. He looks like a, a matador. Yeah, he's very cool looking. Little, but if you just heard that name, I think, did he... Did he find Brazil or Argentina? Is he the one that <laughs> like, found that country? You, Which one Chile. was that? You know how they, if you just yes. line them up, if you just, I think it's from across the world, and you said, what does he do? I yeah, would guess F1 driver or I would guess uh, Matador. I would love for someone to look at me one day and say, what does this guy do? <laughs> and the first two guesses are Matador <laughs> or F1 driver. Yeah. That's that's really what we all want to aspire to be. Right now, no one's guessing that when they see me. Loses bets on fans. Yeah, yeah. Now, <laughs> degenerate. Degen uh, now they look at me. The, the most common answers are degenerate gambler or accountant. That's pretty much it. Or dentist. Yes. Well, I'm going to get. Hey, are chance. you an orthodontist? Are you related to the with Withero orthodontist? No, there's an E in no. that one actually. I want to give you a chance to go back to something that you used to do well. That I feel that you've dropped off on here because I had another dream. Oh. I had a follow-up dream. Now, I know exactly what this dream means, but I'm going to give Chad, if I may, yes, yes, your absolutely. an opportunity to interpret. Now, uh, it's another scary situation, but I was not scared. I was in a plane crash. <laughs> okay. Okay. L.A. Hold, so, on. Okay. hold on. Let me, let me spell right. it out. Don't me, be too quick. Let me get my Don't notepad. Be rash. Big airliner or Don't be rash. Big single airliner. engine? Big airliner. All right. L.A to the East Coast. So you're not, you're not I don't private. know where you're not, exactly. You're not flying JetBlue? No, or? no. I was far, <laughs> I was uh, much further in the front of this plane than I typically am. I sit uh, two thirds to three quarters of the way to the back, generally, on the aisle. I was much closer to the bulkhead in this plane. 
I was on the aisle as usual. I was safest part of the plane. I, I was alone. This plane crashed in Manhattan. But stunningly well done by the pilot. It felt more like a car crash in that uh, he sized it up and somehow we came down very softly and he ran it into a building. But we were fine. I, I don't know about everybody else, quite frankly, but I, I, was, I was fine. A little nicked up, like maybe like so a... His, so his, his reaction scratch. to the plane going down was to recreate 9-11 and drive it into a well, building? Chad, but stop, it was fine? Stop interrupting. Okay. Into a building, but everything was fine. But it turns out that this was just an incidental additional plane crash on 9-11. There was oh, no scheme. Oh, wow. But we're in, it's in Manhattan. So there's already chaos in Manhattan because the planes have hit. So I am in the middle of chaos, and I go into a drugstore immediately. So I'm a little dazed. I have a little blood on my face. But I go into a drugstore, and my primary thing, I'm thinking that I'm going to wind up in the wilderness and kind of, or, or kind of like in the middle of nowhere, and I am trying to get my like preparedness kit together. But my obsession is with glasses. I, and they're already pretty empty. It's very the, accurate. Pretty empty, the rack for like reading glasses and whatnot. I am getting several pair of reading glasses, and I'm also getting like, you ever seen those sheets? It's like an eight by 11 sheet of paper, but it's a, a magnifying lens, like you would put it down over yeah. a small, small type. Right. I'm getting several of those. And my predominant thought is I'm going to be in positions where I'm not going to be able to read or see, and I must be able to read or see. And I am stockpiling this stuff before I disappear out of Manhattan to some remote location. And that's the gist of it. I, know, I think I know exactly what it means. Chad, who's become worse and worse at this, I will give an opportunity to interpret. Do you have an upcoming vacation where you're going away? No. Okay. Um, to me, this has something to do with you getting older, eyesight getting worse, maybe you sensing your own mortality, and you sense the eyesight being a sign of youth and wisdom and curiosity. So in the dream, this is you sort of like in a midlife crisis scenario <laughs> being the plane crash, realizing I need my sight, I need my ability to read, it's what's got me here, and that is what you had to hold on to and capture as you went to that drugstore and got the glasses. This is a far better attempt. This is the Chad that I know yes. and have missed. I but, even well, my first note that I took down, Paul, was, so clown scared you, but not a plane crash. <laughs> right. Well, the clown was going to murder me. Okay. I survived the plane crash. Um, it's this, the same result, you know. Okay. <laughs> it's death. This is a far Whether better by attempt. by murder or plane crash. I'm crediting okay. you with a far better attempt, but you're absolutely wrong. Absolutely wrong. I, this look for the glasses and the magnifying materials is a, a, a quest for clarity. Clarity, perhaps, from the dream the night before. I want to figure it out. I need to see it clearly, and I'm seeking a method to see things clearly, starting with that murderous dream which scared the hell out of me. So do you think that in the effort to see things clearly and getting the glasses, you were both examining the previous night's dream and the meaning of the plane crash. Yes. This is all happening I do. in one dream. How about that? You're then going to research it like I need clarity on the plane, on the crash, plane crash was secondary. And the juggalos. But the juggalos were primary. Before. And by the way, uh, to stack on top of yesterday's conversation, the and I don't know if Jacob has a picture of the juggalos. The 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 juggalos are the devout followers of the insane insane clown posse. And the insane clown posse when we pictured them were much too happy. I said I was uh, it was more murderous clowns. It, the, it's the juggalos, the followers, who are more insane looking than the posse for which they're named. If Jacob has the picture, I'd like to see it. A, the, he found one that was a more murderous clown that I was scared of. But I think the seeking of the, uh, the glasses and the magnifier is seeking clarity on both. The murderous episode that had me up screaming, help me, help me, and the plane crash. So I'm seeking clarity. I hope I found some clarity with those glasses and I could go back to my normal life. Or we'll have content again on Monday. Uh, uh, it's, this is terrific content. And Brandon uh, tweets in. You can follow us at Outkick360. He says, at Dr. Phil, your thoughts <laughs> to, Paul's, uh, to Paul's predicament. Um, I think that I could be a good psychiatrist 
but I also feel like psychiatrists don't just tell you what's wrong with you. And I would just tell, you know, you, typically you don't see it where you just talk and talk and talk. They're not going to come out and say, here's what your dream meant. Right. Or here's the problem that you have. They let you realize right. it. And they're figuring it out and letting you figure it out and say yeah, it. Yeah, you would lose your clients I, yeah. because you would reach I would quickly be like, here's your issue. Now, take these meds. And get Lance back. Lee, your thoughts. Oh, there we go. That, see, this is the kind of guy that was at my bedside. I had three of these guys who were about to kill me. Is he didn't a, have a cigarette. Is that a cigarette? That's a joint. He, didn't <laughs> like ha- a, he yeah. wasn't smoking anything. <laughs> is it a joint? No, it's a cigarette. Maybe a little bit. It's a cigarette, but I... I would guess there's something in the end. It's a reimagined cigarette. Based cigarette. On how it's twisted yeah, up yeah. And how I've seen other people. Yeah, up right. Other cigarettes people. Cigarettes with illicit. You've substances. seen some other people. <laughs> Jacob has seen things like this before. To be clear, you guys you have thoughts on this second dream and my conclusions. Uh, I I think you're completely screwed. <laughs> <laughs> I'd give it up. Yeah. Correct. Very helpful. Thank Correct. you. Correct. Thank you. Coming up, John McClain will join us. He knows a thing or two about falling asleep uh, on <laughs> this show. What uh, a segue. Wonder if he snoring. dreamed during that. Also, uh, today's show dedicated to the great Ronnie Mund. Yesterday yes, was Ronnie ICP. Monday. Today's Ronnie Mund. Never mind Father's Day. Ronnie Monday. For show number 69 in honor of Stern's limo driver. 68! Ronnie Mund. And, you know, and also in honor of Ronnie Mund. MyDrHank.com. Oh. MyDrHank.com no slash OutKick is where you can go for 50% off if you're suffering from erectile dysfunction. It affects over, it affects over half, men, uh, half a man, but it doesn't have to make you feel like half of a man, Jack. Hutton, by the way, you can just walk off and leave after those two segues. Those were perfect. <laughs> uh, it, it doesn't have to make you feel like half of a man, and it, you don't have to be embarrassed by Twice it. Twice the like man. Hutton said, it affects over half of men out there, but if you want something mailed to you discreetly, my Dr. Hank can do so, and it's going to be sent to you from a pharmacy in the U.S. And it's for as low as $2 a pill, Paul, plus this great offer. Uh, I'm big on uh, sales to start off a uh, customer relationship. 50% off your first subscription order. Go to mydrhank.com outkick. Mydrhank.com outkick. 50% off your first subscription order. What a deal. John McClain next on Outkick 360. Outkick 360 Friday edition is here alongside Chad Withrow and Paul Koharski. I'm Jonathan Hutton, pleased to be joined by friend of the show, Pro Football Hall of Fame selector. He's covered the league for more than four decades. John McClain from the Houston Chronicle joins us from Houston. You can follow him on Twitter at McLean underscore on underscore NFL. He just got back to Houston from Nashville. John, hope you're doing well. I'm doing well, but I'm not having nearly as much fun here at home as I had last weekend when I was in Nashville for my Commodinger fundraiser at uh, Jeff Fisher's farm. That was a lot of fun. I had a blast in town with all my buddies, especially Rory Rowan, who always treats me well like a royalty. And uh, we went out to Fisher's Farm in uh, uh, about 28 miles outside Nashville in Kingston Springs. And it was an event for about, I think there were about 300 people there. Got to hang out with him and Eddie George and John Dwyer and George Plaster. And it brought back so many great memories. Saw a lot of coaches, Dave McGinnis, you know, Dave's everywhere. Alan Lowry came back to talk about home run throwback to Music City Miracles. Good to see Alan, who used to coach with the Oilers. And so I had so much fun, as I always do up there. It was for a great cause. Heimerdinger's family was there. Fisher's been hosting this for years. It was a golf tournament. But he said he wanted to go back to the format we used to do for the Charles Davis Foundation, which was just get up and tell stories. And then there were some great ones, especially by Fisher. And Eddie Jordan. John, it was, uh, it, I heard great things about it. I saw some photos as well. The place was packed, as it should be, for, for a great cause. And uh, next time you're in town, we will definitely have to get together as a show and get you in studio. Um, speaking of great stories, you're going to tell a great story in your column on Sunday about David Cully, who is from the Middle Tennessee area, from Sparta. And uh, the column centers around Father's Day. It does. I have two things on our sports website, TexasSportsNation.com. One is the annual tribute I wrote to my dad, Curtis McClain, when he died in 07. 
and the Chronicle reruns it every year at Father's Day. And the one I did on David Cully is fascinating. I talked to him about an hour, and um, his dad, Ulysses Grant Cully Sr., died on the third day of the draft in Sparta. He's 94. He'd spent his whole life there. Cully's five brothers and sisters are there. And, and Ulysses Grant Cully Sr. is an institution. The White County uh, High School baseball field's named after him, and he used to play Sparta, things I didn't learn. One of the things that was the coolest about Sparta, I found out it's 96 miles from Nashville, 98 from Knoxville, about 5,000 at the last census, and also it's 91% white. And I asked David Culley about racism, and he said, I didn't know I was black until 1972 when I went to Vanderbilt to play quarterback in the SEC. So he and his family were treated like royalty and still are. And that's one reason he says he loves to go back to Sparta. And uh, his dad was a character, a, a sports nut who went to events with his good buddy Tenderfoot. And if they couldn't find a game, they would find a practice. And then when Ulysses' health got bad and he couldn't drive his white Cadillac anymore, uh, friends would call the house and take him to games and practices in his wheelchair. And uh, David said that's one reason my dad lived as long as he did was because of how well people in Sparta and White County treated him. And uh, so it is a very, I was using the word, fascinating, touching, uh, moving story, not because I wrote it, but because David Cully talking about his dad. And he also told me there's a lot of people in Sparta that have been listening to us on the radio for years, and now they listen to you guys on OutKick. And they wanted me to let you guys know. We love hearing that, John. We appreciate you uh, you letting us know that. We appreciate everybody here in the we Middle love Tennessee Sparta area. Too. That's absolutely right. Uh, let, let's tie in David Culley, who he, he did away with the mini camp, said he accomplished what he needed to in the OTAs by attendance. John, how do you judge what's newsworthy, what's not, what's micro-analyzing this time of year, what's worth actually reading between the lines with? with all the news that is out this time of year versus what they're actually accomplishing on the field with, with some teams just canceling it all together? The key to any offseason program, especially if you're a new coach or a new GM, you got 50 new players, 42 new veterans, is you got to get the mental stuff down. They got a new system on defense. I got uh, 17 new assistants. And it's all about mental, all about mental and walkthroughs. And David Culley made a deal with his veterans before phase two of the three-phase off-season program that if you guys will have good attendance and we get accomplished what we want to accomplish, I'll cancel that three-day minicamp. And uh, so at the time, the union was encouraging players do not go to facilities. So they had what they called great attendance. They did it for a month, and he lived up to his word, canceled a minicamp. Everybody was happy. The players got a vacation a week early. Now, if you're a veteran team and you don't have a lot of new players, that's the way the Texans were this time last year, coming off the fourth division title in five years, beat Buffalo in the wild card round, had a 24-0 lead at Kansas City before choking and losing. That seems like 10 years ago, but it was only one year ago. So they brought back a lot of veterans and a veteran staff for their offseason program wasn't as mentally demanding uh, back then uh, because it was all virtual because of the pandemic. This year, of course, you could go back on the field. So the truth is, it doesn't matter what team you are. Until you get on the field, put on pads, and start playing preseason games, you don't really know what you have if it's new. Xavier Howard had a great season last year, but it was the first season of, of a new deal. And he played the game where he got himself some guaranteed money and some serious security in case he got hurt after the third year of his career. Now he's not satisfied with the deal he signed, and uh, he and, and the Dolphins are at an impasse. Where do you stand on this, and how ugly do you think it could get between the two sides and the Dolphins, who are at a pretty good place with their personnel and, and their growth? They extended him, um, and he intercepted 10 passes, the most by a corner, I think, since like 2003, and which may mean they've thrown at him a lot. 
but he signed that extension, and I think he's got three or four years left on it. If they set a precedent by redoing his with that many years left, others are going to step up. That's what the Austin Texans, Dwayne Brown, their left tackle, is still playing with Seattle, is they had extended J.J. Watt and Andre Johnson with more than a year left, which was policy of the general manager at the time, Rick Smith. And when he did it for them, Brown wanted it done. And they said, you're not J.J. Watt or Andre Johnson. So he got mad, held out in fourth trade. And it was best for him, of course, because it worked out great. But if in DeAndre Hopkins, he wanted a $10 million a year raise with three years left. They just weren't going to do it. And so they traded him to Arizona, which was a terrible move. But if you do it, you better be beware of the consequences. John, there's a very different set of rules for vaccinated players and unvaccinated players once training camp gets here. Joe Mixon spoke out against the NFLPA in this. Sam Darnold has. Taylor Lewan went after the NFLPA and then quickly deleted the tweet criticizing them with these rules. What do you think about the restrictions for unvaccinated players? And do you think this will be an issue when training camp comes around? Or are most guys that aren't currently vaccinated going to say, I don't want to deal with it? So I'm going to go ahead and get vaccinated. First of all, you got to be a nincompoop to not be vaccinated. Number, I've been vaccinated twice. It was a piece of cake. And, but you got to be a numbskull and, uh, because you're going to be living with last year's protocols. And all you got to do is go get two easy shots. Are you stupid? Are you stubborn? Are you afraid of needles? What's the deal? Because if you're not vaccinated and you get quarantined and you miss a game or two, and you're on a 17-game season, you can hurt yourself, your team, your fans, your organization. I just don't understand it. And these people lashing out at the union, which has worked out this deal with the NFL, when everybody knows except some, let's say, nitwits out there, that you better be vaccinated because if you get 85% of the team vaccinated, then you don't have to go with last year's protocol. And if you are a borderline player and it's down to you and another guy and he's vaccinated and you're not, you're out of there. They'll never say it, of course, but if say they got to have five vaccinated players to get 85%, cut five who aren't, sign those five, get up to 85%. It is definitely a competitive advantage to be vaccinated. John, in in disregard for those that say, oh, who cares, Hutton, about you and the media complaining about this, I'm going to give some examples and get your take on covering the league for more than four decades and how the NFL approaches certain things right now. Uh, you told the story last week of getting a roster without numbers on it. Um, we, we see in Baltimore where Jamison Hensley from ESPN says that they're not allowed to film Lamar Jackson throwing a football in June. To receivers. And, and then we have Brian Schottenheimer in Jacksonville, an assistant coach and passing game coordinator who refuses to even acknowledge that Trevor Lawrence is their number one quarterback right now. What, where is the honesty and just the, the simple, easy structure that we were used to maybe 10 years ago, 15 years ago, where we didn't have this quote-unquote competitive advantage because we were watching Lamar Jackson throw a football on a video camera or actually, you know, knowing that certain players wear certain numbers on their uniform. If I mentioned numbskulls, netwits, and nincompoops, let me tell you something about <laughs> You're on people fire. listening. If, if you are a fan of the Titans and you read or you listen or you watch, the more access the people you read, listen to, or watch have, better information you're going to get about your team. For instance, if you're doing a feature on a player, say you're doing a feature on Ryan Tannehill, you don't just want Ryan Tannehill talking or the head coach talking. You'd like to have some different opinions from different players who play with Tannehill. And if you can't get in there and get them and you're limited in what you do, then you're doing a disservice to the readers, listeners, and viewers. I complained all offseason because they wouldn't make Terod Taylor available here. Finally, they did after three months explaining, and he was great. Said all the right things, got great publicity all over town. But in the old days, and I say the old days, going back 10 years, coaches depended on their coaching, 
and they're playing to win. How in the world did Vince Lombardi, Don Shula, Tom Landry, Chuck Noll, Bill Walsh, how did they manage to win when they let the media watch practice, write about what they wanted other than trick plays, interview any coach whenever they wanted? How did those guys manage to win back then? And because they didn't consider the media either an enemy, hold us in such disdain, or, or being a necessary evil. And I think if you're a good coach and you're a good player, you should be able to perform without the media being a detriment to you. But that's just me. Uh, you're a strong guy who knows kind of your, your role in this whole thing. And so when they gave you a roster with no numbers, <clears throat> you reacted to it. Um, and, and you didn't do a lot of writing about what was unfolding there. They, they suffered a consequence. It might not have been a, a, a big consequence. Why is there such a reluctance media-wise, John? Uh, why wouldn't the Baltimore reporter say, if we're not allowed to shoot video of an MVP quarterback throwing passes, we're not going to write about Lamar Jackson until you change that? Why are we such pushovers for the, these rules? Why can't we collectively walk out or not write and, and report on some of this stuff to show them that, that we're not going to just take the spoonfuls that they're willing to feed us? Well, unfortunately, that would be shortchanging changing the readers, listeners, or viewers. Temporarily, the reason they The reason they follow us, the reason they do read us or watch us, or listen to us is because they want as much information as we can get. And if we don't get Lamar Jackson throwing in June to his receivers, they want the other information. So we can't ignore them. Plus we'd probably get fired. And, uh, I tried that in 1983, uh, new Orleans coach. I'm sorry. He took over in 81. First thing he did was say media can't go in the locker room. So he was trying to appease his players. So I got the, news directors at the TV stations, the editors at the two papers, and the sports directors at all the radio stations, and we signed a petition, gave it to the owner, Bud Adams, and he opened it up immediately, but people don't do that anymore because people who keep up with the teams, they don't really, they don't care what we go through, even though it may cost them uh, stories. And uh, But, you know, we don't do these stories because we do it for them that's why we get paid and uh i know we're i'm preaching to the crowd here most people don't care what we go through they just want whatever we can get and the truth is with teams having their websites today and so many of them putting so much into those websites you know if you want to get all positive coverage you're a fan and that's what you go to it's not like it used to be where the the conventional media had so much influence and power we're almost just Along for the ride. John, speaking of Lamar Jackson, they gave him two new receivers this offseason, Sammy Watkins and Rashad Bateman, through the for, through the draft. What do you think about the Ravens' additions, the remaked offensive line, and, as Paul said, the former MVP, who you can pretty much ride in the fact that the Ravens are going to the playoffs with Lamar Jackson as their quarterback. Can they take the actual next step and, and win a Super Bowl? Well, first of all, uh, Bateman's a rookie. Some rookies have, most rookies have trouble with that first season. Some don't, like Jefferson at Minnesota. And then you got Watkins. What's the big deal? What's Watkins done? He's not a number one receiver. He'd be lucky to be a number three receiver. So they're going to run, run, and run some more. They led the NFL in rushing the last two seasons, and I think they will again. And uh, people ask me here, do I think, do I think that Derrick Henry can be the first back to post back-to-back 2,000-yard seasons? And I say no because they're going to throw the ball more with Julio Jones. And I say this, if he's, at, if he's close to 1,700 for the last game, then I think yes because he'll get 2,000 because he's going against the Texans. Big finish against the Texans. John, do you expect that the, the Texans or the, or the NFL, it'll be the NFL, that announces something on Deshaun Watson within the next six weeks before training camp arrives? Nobody has a clue about that. That investigation is ongoing. And remember Antonio Brown still being investigated from 2019 
after being suspended once for eight games. They haven't concluded that investigation, even though he and the woman accused him of rape, reached a settlement. Watson still got the 22 civil suits against him. You have Goodell's investigation. You have police investigation. Uh, Goodell, um, I would, I would hope, because it would be such a circus-like atmosphere, if Watson were to show up to keep from being fined fifty thousand a day in training camp, there's got to be some way they could pay him and him not show up because they got their quarterbacks and he don't want to be here. The only way he'd be here would be to avoid that fine, put him on the exempt list. Commissioner determines that, nobody else. That way he draws 10.5 million base salary in the season. And to me, the best time to trade him would not be before camp or before the season or the trading deadline would be before the next draft. Then you see if Daniel Jones, how well he played for the Giants in there in his third season. They got two ones. You'd see Detroit, how well Jared Goff played in his first season. They've got two ones. Philadelphia may have three ones. So that would be the best for everybody. But I believe once those legal issues are resolved, he will be traded. It's just a matter of who, when, and how much they get. John McClain with us. The website, texassportsnation.com. You can follow him on Twitter at McClain underscore on underscore NFL. John, Arlington Heights uh, right now is a, a horse track, a racetrack in the Chicago suburbs, and it could be the new home of the Chicago Bears. They, they've placed a bid on that 330-acre property. Uh, if they win that bid, they could potentially tear down the track, which is owned by Kentucky Downs, and build a new stadium uh, instead of trying to renovate the one they currently have, which was, I think, last renovated in like 2002 for $600 million at Soldier Field. How weird would it be for the Bears to move out of where they currently are. Do you expect it? And this is on the heels of the news that we could see them actually sell the team. Uh, no, because number one, they got a lease through 2033. And as the mayor of Chicago pointed out, they these things are leaked to the media. And this mayor in Arlington Heights starts talking about getting the Bears right when they begun negotiations with the city to get another renovation of Soldier Field. It's the smallest stadium, 61,000. They did a terrible job when they redid it. I was in the press box at a playoff game where they announced we had to be out of there within two hours after the game because the press box was coming down. And so we complained like crazy, and it was a, it was kind of like a, a, a rocket taking off. There was a countdown. It's like the whole stadium and the press box were going to collapse. We could hear people tearing things down as we were writing. Now that I think about it, that's the biggest distraction I've ever had writing. And uh, but I got out of there somehow. I didn't wasn't in, uh, involved in that uh, collapse of the press box, and they did a bad job. But as the mayor said, they got a lease through 2033. They should be more worried about things like beating the Packers and trying to get out of their lease and moving to Arlington Heights. Well, they're currently worried about bringing Justin Fields along in the proper fashion instead of rushing him into the starting job there. You've got a head coach and a general manager that will be on the hot seat if they don't win early. Justin Fields is going to be playing early if Andy Dalton does not play well early. We know that. But what do you make of the decision to slow play it to this point for a quarterback they've traded up for, and in general here, do you prefer the teams that go with their rookie, especially first-round players, early on in a season? Or do you find it necessary to bring them along at a certain pace in order to get the most out of them? Remember Aaron Rodgers sat for three years. Uh, Patrick Mahomes sat for all but one game. I think a lot of it, like Mahomes had Alex Smith, and they were a playoff team, so it was easy to do that. I don't think the Bears are a playoff team. They've made the playoffs. You're not going to the playoffs with a rookie quarterback in most instances. That's why I don't think San Francisco is a contender if they go with Trey Lance. And in this case, with Fields, you can't put your guy out there when he's not ready, especially if he's on a bad team. The news that I took out of that, Nick Foles is third. You know, Foles, my goodness, has anybody fallen farther than him? He won a Super Bowl replacing Carson Wentz, and it was a great run. Didn't do much before except for one season under Tip Kelly and hadn't done anything since. Made a whole lot of money. He's going to be really expensive to keep 
as the third quarterback. And the fans, of course, they don't want to see Andy Dalton. They want to see Justin Fields. But there are instances when you put a quarterback out there with a bad team too soon, he gets he gets ripped by the fans and the media. It affects his confidence, affects him mentally. That's why you can't put them out before you believe they're ready and don't bow down to pressure. John, it seems like uh, AFC potentially loaded this year. We know how good Kansas City is. Um, Buffalo uh, expected to be right there. Then you've got, you know, Baltimore, Cleveland, the Titans, maybe the Colts, Miami getting better. Team that hasn't been talked about a lot that I I think has potential to break through, uh, the Chargers. I'm wondering how you feel about the Chargers. Coaching change, a big deal. Anthony Lynn did a lot to develop Herbert, but bad clock manager and a lot of things that went wrong with that team that seemed to be CEO-level problems. Where do you think they are uh, with the start of a new coaching regime? Because it seems like a pretty talented roster. It it does, but the first-time head coach, a young coach, I don't put much stock in them. I I tell you, team, you didn't mention it. I think if everybody's relatively healthy that'll be right in there, it's Pittsburgh. You know, they took a guy who thinks going to be offensive rookie of the year, Najee Harris. They were last in rushing. Their defense is good when it's healthy. They had a lot of injuries, Bud Dupree being the most prominent, who's now with the Titans. You know, people ask me, who's the second-best team? And I got Titans and Bills right there next to each other. And uh, Titans, of course, need the defense to play better, as you guys know. But that offense already averaged 31 points a game. Buffalo doesn't have much of a running game, great passing game, good enough defense. Everybody has issues. But I, I think right now, I already picked the Titans to win the division. Uh, before they got Julio Jones. And I don't think a receiver is going to put a team in the Super Bowl. But if the defense with Dupree and some of those other guys stepping up, the continued development of Jeffrey Simpson, who's terrific, I think the Titans have got a chance to be the second-best team behind the Chiefs. John, let's go back to the NFC North. Uh, Matt LaFleur said, we'll have one plan for training camp, regardless of who shows up at quarterback. File this under no one believes that, that the plan is the same for Aaron Rodgers as it would be for Jordan Love. I know he's speaking in generalities about their blueprint to get guys ready for the season, but what do you make of that comment from Matt LaFleur and where the Packers stand right now with this Aaron Rodgers mess? Well, I've never thought Aaron Rodgers was leaving Green Bay. I still still don't. And as far as Love, it's his second year there. He should be able to run the things that they have with Rodgers. When Rodgers comes in, he can just slide in seamlessly because he's a great quarterback coming off career out 48 touchdown passes after throwing 25 and 26 in the two previous years. And Matt LaFleur said all the right things. So have teammates. The only one that didn't so far is the president, Mark Murphy. And I don't think he's calling somebody a complicated fellow. And he was echoing what the late Ted Thompson had said about Rodgers, and but you'd think he insulted him and his family and everything else, the way people have jumped all over it. And Brian Gutekunst, the GM that everybody says he doesn't like, he, don't, he hadn't said anything, which is smart. And I bet you when his agent went to Green Bay to work out an extension before the draft, if he had gotten that extension, would he be like Jesus and he loves everybody, or would he still hate Mark Murphy and Brian Gutekunst? I think he probably would love everybody. John McLean from the Houston Chronicle, TexasSportsNation.com, the website. John, we appreciate the time as always. So glad that you were able to have a great trip to Nashville. And uh, here's hoping that we see you soon. Guys, thank you very much. Paul and Chad, hope you guys have a great Father's Day. And thank you guys for having me as always. And I look forward to the next time. Thanks, John. Thank, thank you, John. TexasSportsNation.com, the website to read the column on David Culley. Uh, grew up right here in Middle Tennessee, down the road in White County in Sparta. Always great to have John on the show. We will do it again very soon. The VolQuest Power Hour is coming up in about 15 minutes. Other headlines, including Paul, Baseball Genius. Baseball Genius, an influential read going on in my house that creates a bit of a moral dilemma. I want to run you guys through the moral dilemma and see where you stand. I'll kick 360 rolls on. Hang with us.
Outkick 360 rolls on. We have the VolQuest Power Hour with Brent Hubs and Austin Price coming up in about 12 minutes. First, though, we're going to talk Phil Mickelson and Baseball Genius in Paul's house. Baseball Genius is a book that was given to Simon by his godparents. God bless them. We are like God many bless parents. The God, God bless the God. God bless God. And also God bless God. Yeah. Chairs, microphones. We are uh, like many parents of kids around the age of 11, trying like hell to get Simon to read more. He's mandated 20 minutes a day. Yesterday was a breakthrough day. He read well beyond his time limit. He got hooked by a book, Baseball Genius. So he was telling, I was asking, I was engaged, I wanted to know about this book. Well, it's a book about a major league player uh, who's struggling a little bit. Derek Jeter is in this book, and he, he's either involved in authoring the book or publishing the book. But this major league player's having trouble, there's pressure on him for his job. And he gets involved with this kid who knows what pitch is coming. He doesn't read the catcher, he's not stealing signals. He's got an like a incredible ability to read the grip of a pitcher and to know if he's throwing a slider or a fastball, four seam, two seam, all of this stuff. And so this major leaguer uses the kid to tip him off on pitches. Oh, nice. Right? And so the guy is he's under pressure. He's waving the, uh, the shirt. He's got a young kid Adrian Beltre's buddy waving the uh, <laughs> right. top over his head. So this guy has, is pitches. being pressured by a minor leaguer, a young hotshot kid. And he needs to have big days to stay in the lineup. He tells the kid, if I go four for four today, I'll tweet about your father's diner, you know, and help the family business. This kid's poor and, and uh, needs some, some family help. And he's also got pressure, like he, he needs to be at baseball practice on time or his coach is a real hard ass. Uh, but sometimes the, the major leaguer's game butts up against practice, so there's a lot of conflict. But I was asking Simon, do you think it's cheating? And he's like, well, he's not stealing signals. He's got knowledge of, of, like, he can tell what pitch is coming. And I said, but the hitter can't tell what pitch is coming. His friend can tell what pitch is coming. And so we're having a conversation about, is this cheating? I, I think it's cheating that his friend is telling him what's coming. He's got a friend who's very good at recognizing the grip. His friend is telling him from where? From behind the book. dugout. He's sitting in the stands and telling him. Yeah, that's cheating. Yeah. <laughs> you can't have, I mean, I, I, end of story, like you can't have someone not participating in the athletic event tipping you off to things happening uh, that's not. Now, if it was a coach, this is, this to me would be the dilemma. If it's a manager or a pitching coach who's just really good at this, or a third base coach. Or a teammate. If it's not in the rule book and the teammate or third base coach, I Has mean, teammates man. can tip, the, if you're at second base, right. you know, you can, that's, you can, that's not against the rules, right? It's kind of frowned upon, but no, you can read you've got signals and give it. something to your guy batting. So if you could tell a grip, yeah. that's amazing. I would skill, think it's right? fair game if it's a coach that had that ability. But from the stands, it's out of bounds. I, yeah. I agree. Yeah. Simon, I think not part of the game, Simon is struggling with it, right, because he likes the story so much and the characters. Right. So it puts a moral dilemma in a thing where he's rooting for all these people because he likes the characters. If there was a parent in a basketball game who could hear the coach drawing up a play on the other sideline and knew what was coming for a last second shot and ran to the bench and told their son or told the other team what was coming, is that cheating? Out of bounds. Out of bounds. Yes, that's cheating. Also out of bounds, according to Phil Mickelson, uh, cameras clicking in the background of his swing where yesterday, was it the 14th hole, 13th? I think 14th. Um, he multiple times stopped to reset and then asked someone to be removed from the gallery uh, because they wouldn't mute their phone. Now, uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a proponent of, of being enough and, and being focused enough where you can actually hit a golf shot with a click going on in the background. You know, I, I'm, I guess I'm new school in that thinking. But I liked Mickelson's reply post-round where he was like, look, I should be mentally tougher where it's not going to force me to hit a bad shot. But it's very distracting, and I don't know why that someone in the gallery can't mute their phone while taking a photo. So he wasn't worried about the photo as much as he was that clicking, clicking sound sound. that the that your camera phone makes. That's an imitation camera right. noise that's right. not even part of the physical so, process. It's it's there to fake like a camera. It, it clearly messed with him because he, he, he hit a bad shot 
after having this guy step, escorted out, asked him to, to step away three times. And he stepped, he stepped away a couple of times and then eventually had this guy removed. But we've got to get to a point. I, I agree with everything you said. But we've got to get to a point where a, a minor click, yeah. when you're out amongst thousands of people, is not throwing you off a, a swing. I understand golf's a quiet sport, and I'm not saying we should turn it into Happy Gilmore, but some minor noise in your backswing cannot throw uh, throw your game into utter disarray. Uh, these guys should be locked in. I mean, you talk to athletes in a lot of sports, a baseball player in his swing, and you'll ask him what he heard, and they'll talk about how they block everything out and they don't hear anything. So if baseball players or football players at crucial moments in games hear nothing, how come golfers hear everything? Uh, because they're used to hearing nothing. Yeah, I know. But let's get past it. Let, let's have the new generation of golfers. I understand Mickelson's old guard, and so I'll grandfather him in. It's like but uh, these new young guys. Think, if there's a click, play through a it's click. It's like why, why Train did, yourself. Uh, Tiger Woods' father used to jiggle change in his pocket for putts and all of that stuff to train him on this. Yeah. Start training your golfers well, to handle a click. I'm sure. I'm sure Mickelson has been around this before. But it, whatever this was, whatever was going on was bugging him, and I'm, it probably had started earlier in the round. Right. And it and was it just annoying him. Um, you know, but there's a reason why the NBA piped in a lot of crowd noise and music during the pandemic because those players are used to having a rhythm yeah, it's about to the game. As much yeah, as yeah, that, I think that's, it's, more, that, that's it. I think oftentimes it is not something that causes a bad shot. It is something that conveniently guys, when they hit a bad shot, hear it more. And they look around for the distraction. And, and that, it's a frustration yeah, thing. You're right. I don't think that... I really don't think these guys are getting derailed by a clicking sound in their backswing. I think that when they hit a bad shot and they hear the clicking sound, it's a point of frustration. So they then want to connect it mentally, and that's human nature. They connect it mentally to the bad shot they just hit. But we've seen guys in backswing stop because of a roar at Augusta, and then they reset. Yeah. I don't know that a clicking sound is the same. Now, I'd also say silence your phone. Like Act like you've been there before. I agree. If you're on the golf course, you should not be. Yeah, well... I mean, oh, you know when it's making a loud sound when you're clicking. Make yeah, sure that's not that's the case. That's just people are idiots thing. And yeah. you have to, I mean, now, if you don't accommodate for people being idiots, you're going to be pissed off all the time. Yeah. I speak from experience. Well, you're also not ever going to win in the court of public opinion when you're Phil Mickelson and you're kicking someone out of a golf tournament for a clicking sound. If someone's not being belligerent well, I, I and wonder, yelling at them and you're getting them removed, I really you're just wonder not what this guy did. That. I wonder what he did earlier in the round. Yeah, maybe so. Because Mickelson's one of those fan favorite guys. Thumbing up. Yeah. And this, I think this guy had cranked it up to 11 on purpose, the volume, so? you know, to, to mess Too with annoying. him. Maybe. But uh, I liked, I liked his, his quote. He said, it's part of professional golf. You have to learn to deal with it. I don't understand why you just can't turn that little button on the side into silent. I probably didn't deal with it internally as well as I could have or as well as I need to. It's part of playing the game out here at this level. Certainly, I didn't do the best job of dealing with it. That's all reasonable. But somebody with a real camera that makes a real (laughs) noise is going to shoot a picture too. And I think golfers in general need to do a better job being able to, to swing with a small noise happening somebody also might be walking and step on a stick that cracks and these things are, are and that's an unintentional and, noise and that's going to happen and i wasn't watching this live i'm, I'm referring to the the replay of when he, the guy was actually removed from the gallery but mickelson said the the three or four shots previous to this i turned around and asked that dude to stop and he didn't yeah, and that's, so that's he a problem he should be removed and he was. He's probably. Yeah. I don't think Mickelson should remove him. If someone's around there with the tournament, yeah. and you see a player interacting with a fan, ask him to do it. And they keep doing it. And there get are marshals all over the place to handle stuff like that. Probably should have been handled quicker and without his uh, uh, Mickelson having to be a part of it. And anyways, caddy should you know Mickelson should work through his caddy there too to not have to say yeah that that guy. Um, but I feel bad for Louis Oosthuizen today. He's not a fan favorite, I wouldn't say, too much. He's very quiet and small and meek. <laughs> you know, that's how I describe him. Yeah. But very consistent. Um, he was tied for the lead at four under on 16 yesterday when they suspended play due to darkness because they had been delayed earlier in the day by over an hour and they had intense fog, had to delay play. 
Uh, he starts the second round, or started the second round at even par after having to tee off this morning to finish round one. Again, he was four under on 16. So he went four over on he had to reset, finish round one, and now he's on round two. He's on six, and he is plus one in round two. But he's he's back up. He's, he's doing well today. Still there. So he's back at three under. But he had to reset completely and play over, what, 20 holes now. This today. is where uh, – we talk about even playing field a lot, right? Yeah. Not giving someone a competitive advantage. This is where golf, there's always going to be natural there's competitive something. advantages. Yeah. Because just by random luck of tee time, yes. you're going to be in different climates, yeah. you know, depending on where you are. Yeah. Totally different conditions. Wind, rain, whatever it may be. Uh, the morning, it's, it's so many different things on every course you go to based on geography. And I kind of like that. I kind of like knowing, hey, these afternoon tee times – they could go really low because the conditions set up. Or in the morning, they're going to go low, and the afternoon's going to be rough. I think it's fun to follow that. Brent Hubs, Austin Price coming up. Paul? Teresa told me, let the book be a book. Oh. <laughs> Thank you, Teresa. <laughs> baseball genius. Let the book be a book. Check it out if you have if a 11-year-old who likes cheating? baseball. Yes. If we abided by that mantra, <laughs> she does know we wouldn't have a job. Right? <laughs> yeah, right. Hey, Just, Teresa, let maybe, the content be content. Yeah, maybe let a sport be a sport and don't ever talk about it. That's, yeah, just let it be. That's, that's what you guys should do. We're Vault just going to go uh, Monday. We're going to come back to just silence for two hours of us staring into a camera. We let the weekend we'll be the weekend. <laughs> right. Just let the weekend be a weekend. VaultQuest.com, a lot to get to this weekend to preview with the College World Series, more recruiting headlines, plenty to discuss with Neyland Stadium upgrades and more. Brent Hobbs, Austin Price next on Outkick 360. Hey, it's Jonathan Hutton. Thanks for listening to Outkick 360. Be sure to subscribe to the show to have the latest podcast delivered to you each and every day. And give us five stars. It helps us grow our network and provide you with more great podcasts like this one.